Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the How To Money podcast today. My pleasure, Kate. Now, before we dive into today's exciting topic on building a diversified portfolio, I'd love if you could share a little bit of background on you and Stockspot. Yeah, sure. So my background was originally as as someone that used to manage portfolios for a bank I worked at for, for some early part of my career, as well as a hedge fund. And so I learned you know, about trading shares and investing in different asset classes and, and different markets you know, through that professional channel. From very early on, I was managing my own portfolio from when I was even a teenager. And so I was very interested in the market growing up. And then uh, yeah, I was inspired around 2013 to start Stockspot because I thought, first of all, ETFs were such a, a fantastic instrument for people that a lot of Aussies weren't aware of for building a portfolio and, and managing and growing their wealth over time. I thought there weren't enough digital online services to make it easy for people to grow their money and just thought there was a great opportunity to, to service you know, that group of people out there that don't necessarily have enough money or, or even the desire to go and speak to a traditional financial advisor to get advice because it's expensive and at least back then it was quite conflicted as well. You typically get advised into products that they were related to and that's, yeah, that's how Stockspot started. So it's an online business that's helped people build and manage diversified portfolios that are tailored to their personal goals and, yeah, we've been around eight years now, you know, managing managing portfolios where, you know, in the lucky position where we've, um, you know, managed to have eight years of consistently positive performance, which has helped to build our track record and, and um, yeah, help people really understand the benefits of diversification, which is what we're talking about today. And Stockspot was one of the OGs in this space. You were around before it became kind of became cool to use robo-advisors or use ETFs. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I remember pitching a business idea to people back in 2013 and fintech wasn't even a word. So fintech came about after I started the business Definitely robo-advice. I mean, it, it had started to emerge in North America and, and some parts of Europe, but we were the first in Australia. And I know this because I had to spend a lot of time with the regulator um, trying to help them understand what we were trying to do and, and get them on board. That you know, This was a service that was going to open up advice to more people, you know, reduce costs, and, and actually provide a, a um, more transparent and you know consumer-friendly product. Awesome. So in today's conversation, I really want to focus on building a diversified portfolio and maybe some of the considerations involved there that listeners might need to think about when they are going about this process. But before we dive into that, are you able to give a brief overview? Now, you mentioned ETFs, but some of the asset classes that people might use as building blocks in a diversified portfolio. Sure. So ETFs are a great way to get access to different asset classes, as you've mentioned, but there's a whole bunch of different assets ultimately around the world that you can invest in. Now, there are some bigger, well-known ones, which I'll go through now, as well as some more niche ones, which we, we tend to avoid because they, they're often more volatile and really they, they don't give you a better um, outcome than just investing in the main ones. So the big broad asset classes, at least that we focus on and having in our portfolios, are 
Uh, one would be Australian shares, so one that a lot of your listeners would be very well aware of. So, you know, companies listed on the ASX, typically these ETFs are weighting the companies according to how big they are. So you're putting more money in the BHPs and, and Commonwealth banks, and, and that's a strategy that tends to work quite well over the long run because your portfolio is continually getting renewed and refreshed and, and the good companies are, are going to the top and the bad ones are, are dropping out the bottom and disappearing. Um, so Australian shares is one one big asset class. Another one is global or international shares. And we actually divvy that up into two different groups. You've got the global developed markets. So markets like the US and Europe and Japan, which tend to have you know more similar characteristics to themselves or to, to each other versus the emerging markets, um, countries like India and China and I think Saudi Arabia and Brazil and, and these sorts of countries get included in there. You know, they, they tend to have a, a a, a bit of a different flavor to them and they perform well in different markets. They can be a bit more volatile. And we've even seen recently that some countries uh, get completely removed from the emerging markets asset class like Russia, which it was about 2% of the emerging markets we were invested in and, and got completely removed recently. So foreign developed markets, foreign emerging markets are two others. The next asset class is government bonds. So this is basically loaning your your money to either governments or you could be high corporate, high, high quality corporate bonds as well, uh, where you actually pay the interest rate. And, and that's based on the prevailing market interest, you know, in interest that's available. You know, so bonds and, and shares are typically included in a portfolio because they counterbalance each other. They're not doing that right now, which is actually interesting in itself, but generally through the market cycle, they're assets that help to diversify each other, both government bonds and then corporate bonds. Then you've got property, again, something that your listeners will all be familiar with, but property you can access through different different ways. So you can obviously buy a residential property in Australia, but also you can invest in listed property, or they're often known as REITs in Australia, which give you access to different parts of the property market, like offices or you know retail or some of these other you know areas where you can buy property. So property is another one. Um, natural resources would be another asset class. So accessing you know commodities as well as soft commodities like wheat this is one that we don't directly give our clients access to but you get access to natural resources if you're an Australian investor because a lot of companies listed on our market have underlying exposure to commodities the BHPs and Rio Tintos you know then then cash is another asset class I suppose that people would be familiar with and then probably another larger one that particularly Aussies have a bit of a fascination with is infrastructure so infrastructure is buying, um, you know, physical infrastructure assets, whether it's it could be rail or ports or toll roads, and this is yeah a, another broad asset class. So that's a you know that's about ten or so of the different main asset classes. Yeah, that's a lot to get your head around there, isn't there? It is. I mean, each each of those really has very different characteristics, and it's actually what you know what makes ETFs interesting is rather than having to go down to the minutiae of picking the underlying securities like which which piece of infrastructure am i going to invest in or which ASX company am i going to invest in ETFs allow you to not have to make that decision and, and allow you to spread your money across many different companies and and so you're basically picking the whole asset class rather than the individual companies yeah. And especially if you are investing in things like infrastructure and overseas markets, it's very hard to find any information or much information on these particular companies. So that's why ETFs do come in handy there. 
Well, that's right. And I mean, any information that you have is obviously information that all of the other professionals already have, have access to. And so it's from a competition perspective, very hard to beat all of the other people that have access to the same information, which I think has been one of the other big drivers of ETF success is, is that it's very difficult to beat all the other traders and investors out there when picking individual securities. And so let them do the hard work and, and allow assets to get priced in the market and then be a freeloader, access the market price through a ETF. It's one of those times when being a freeloader is actually a good thing to do. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It, it's a it's an opportunity that all investors have is to not have to pay a high price to invest these days. And there's always going to be those people that are actively betting against each other. You know, is BHP overvalued or undervalued? You know, is CBA going to have an earnings upgrade or a downgrade? You know, let them get all that information and make those decisions and then you can piggyback off that hard work and, and pay next to nothing to get access. Yeah. And you've mentioned some of the different asset classes. What is asset allocation though? So asset allocation is about um, spreading your money across these different asset classes. You know, the reason you would consider doing this is, is that asset allocation really is one of the biggest drivers of what return you earn and also how volatile your portfolio is over time. And so getting the right mix of different asset classes in your portfolio is something that's really critical. And certainly my observation before starting StockSpot was it was something a lot of people weren't very focused on. So Australian investors, you know, they had their Aussie shares and they might have had some cash, but the proportions they weren't really that focused on and, and what other asset classes might help them get a smoother ride, they weren't that focused on. But what we know is that by getting your asset allocation right, it allows you to earn a, a good return over time and, and actually take a lot less risk than if you're just investing in you know maybe one or two assets. So asset allocation is about building a portfolio by spreading your money across different asset classes, ideally to give you the best result, you know, best return with the least possible risk. So from what I'm hearing, asset allocation sounds quite similar to the idea of diversification as well. Yeah, so asset allocation is the process of picking the right assets and, and the right proportions and, and managing managing those proportions. I mean, diversification is a broader concept of spreading your money across different things. So one aspect of diversification is asset allocation. So that's a way of diversifying across different assets. But another aspect of diversification is actually diversifying across different sectors. And that will happen within an asset or diversifying across different companies. And that happens within an asset class. So diversification you can have on a high high level asset class basis, but you can also have all the way down to you know, companies or sectors. And the reason you want to diversify is similar to the benefits of, of getting asset allocation, right? It's very difficult to know which, you know, which stock or which sector is about to do well or about to do badly. It's been a great example over the last few years. We saw the energy sector you know, tumble and, and, and fall a long way and tech stocks rise a lot. And then a complete reversal of that tech stocks crash and then the energy sector rise. Um, diversification allows you to have an exposure to all of these different sectors over time and, and not bet necessarily on which one's about to go up or which one's about to go down. And in terms of diversification, what are some of the, the key things that people need to keep in mind when looking at that in their portfolio? I mean, I think understanding, you know, the impact that the different underlying um, holdings have on diversification is something that a lot of people probably don't think about as much. So I've seen a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, oh, if I've got, you know, a few different shares in my portfolio, I'm diversified. But if all of those shares are bank shares, then actually your diversification across different sectors is pretty poor. 
And if all of those are bank shares in Australia, then your diversification across different countries is poor. And so you really have to think about the different layers of diversification to understand if you're doing it well. Equally, I've, I've seen people that have, and, and we, we're often doing for new clients a, a review of their portfolio. So they'll send their portfolios in and, and we'll do an analysis of things like their diversification and their costs. But something we continually see um, when we're doing these portfolio reviews is that someone will come to us and say, look, I'm, I'm very well diversified. I've got these six ETFs in my portfolio. But then when we look at the underlying holdings of those six ETFs, they're very similar or exactly the same. They might have a, you know, a US shares ETF and a global ETF and, and a couple of others. And you look at all of them and you say, well, look, in this one, you've got, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. And in this one, you've also got Apple, Microsoft and Amazon. So just because you've got a few different, different ETFs or a few different securities doesn't necessarily mean you're well diversified. And so that would be my other tip is actually to, you know, critically look at the underlying holdings to understand whether you're really diversified or not. Yeah. On your point, I have heard a few people mention, I have an ETF portfolio, therefore I am diversified. But when you actually have a look at the portfolio, they might have 20 different ETFs, which may or may not be too many, but there are a lot of overlaps, especially when they started getting interested in thematic ETFs. Suddenly you're looking at the underlying holdings on the ETF provider's website and ending up with quite a lot more in certain industries or companies than you previously thought you might have had. Yeah. And I think it's probably one of the problems with people that build ETF portfolios without you know, a good understanding of asset allocation and diversification is, you know, there's this belief that just having a few in there um, diversifies you. You know, really there's a lot of concentration risk in a portfolio that has the same underlying holdings five times over. And we've seen this before with some clients that have come to us, for instance, with like two or three bond ETFs in their portfolio. And they've come to us saying, oh, Stockspot, why do you only have one bond ETF in your portfolios? You know, I've already got five. I've got, I've got an even better spread. And you explain to them, well, actually all of you know, three of those five actually track the exact same underlying index. So all you're doing is tripling up on the exact same thing and probably having to pay brokerage three times and, and manage the complexity of tax three times. You're not actually better diversified at all. So I think you're right. Um, people can be over-diversified or they can have a belief that they're diversified when they're not. And, that, and that's quite dangerous. And you only really see it when markets fall. And, and an analysis we did recently for a client you know, they were surprised when their portfolio had a very big drawdown in, in the COVID 2020 market collapse. But once we actually unpicked their portfolio and showed that it was the same thing over and over again, you know, it helped them comprehend why they weren't really that diversified and, and, and therefore, you know, what they need to be doing. Yeah, I think it's sometimes because you go to the ETF provider's website and they'll say it's a diversified portfolio of companies in this ETF, but that's diversified within that particular index, not every single element of diversification one could want. Yeah, correct. And even over time, um, so, you know, global shares is a good example at the moment. The percentages in different sectors also change over time. So, you know, 10 years ago, technology was a much smaller proportion of the overall market than it is today. And so, you know, it's something, like, you know, we think clients need to be conscious of as well is that you want to be diversified across different sectors. And sometimes, you know, the market pushes a lot of weight to one sector or another sector. Um, it's something to be aware of because, you know, as we saw when the financial crisis hit, the financial crisis hit when financial stocks were at their highest ever um, weight in, in the markets. And, and equally, you know, the, the tech crisis back in 2020, and it feels like what we're going through now is also a period where tech stocks have, you know, become very, very popular and, and, and they're now a very big weight in the market and so are having quite a big impact on people's portfolios. Yeah, that said, that's just a natural part of 
of markets. And it's actually one of the benefits of owning an index fund is that the index funds con- constantly going through this process of renewal and, and an ETF is an example of an index fund where the sector composition is always changing. So if you were to have a ETF back in um, 1900, it might be that 70% of that ETF was railroads. You know, today railroads might be 0.1% of a diversified portfolio. If you just owned the individual railroad shares back then, you know, your portfolio would have gone nowhere and you would have lost money over that 100 years. But investing in the index you know, allows for that constant change in the underlying sectors. Yeah, it's interesting. And especially in different countries, if you looked at an ETF um, that follows the ASX 200, the top industries represented in that are very different to if you look at the top 500 companies in the US. So even though you are diversified in Australian companies, you might not get that same level of diversification as if you invested in other countries' ETFs as well. And I think people are seeing that and they've seen that over the last 10 years, Kate. So Australian shares have massively underperformed the rest of the world over the last 10 years. And the reason largely is due to that sector composition. We've, um, we've got a, um, a, a lot of weight in banks and resources, which have been two sectors that haven't really benefited from a world of falling interest rates and falling commodity prices. That's kind of flipped over the last six months where higher expected interest rates and higher commodity prices has actually benefited our market and they've actually harmed other markets. So our, our share market in Australia has been the best performer or at least one of the best performers over the last six months because of those sectors. So you can definitely have periods of time where a certain country market can, yeah, have a very big difference in its performance versus other markets due to the sectors. An extreme example at the moment is I think the best and performing market in the world over the last year is, I believe, Saudi Arabia, or it's definitely in the top few. And the reason is it's oil exposure. Oil has basically gone from you know, crashing down to almost $0 a barrel in April 2020 to, you know, well over $100 a barrel now. And, and most of the Saudi stock market is oil-related companies. Um, so, and as an investor, um, an Australian investor, you, there's no point betting just on the Saudi um, share market. But, you know, in our view, it's, a, it's good to have some exposure to all of these different markets in the world so you can benefit from different market environments. And now that we've had a look at some of those asset classes and looked at like why diversification is important, how do you even think about putting this all together and even knowing where to start when it comes to allocating your own assets and building your own diversified portfolio? I think for for listeners, in a really simple sense, you want to build a portfolio that can thrive in different market environments would be the most simple way I could put it. So our um, our theory at Stockspot and and definitely our philosophy is that the future is unknowable. You know, there's plenty of people that try and predict the future in markets, but really the evidence shows that they don't generally get it right or only 50% get it right. And it's very hard to know what's going to happen in a year or two. And that is the basis for the way that we build portfolios. We accept that we can't predict the future. So we want to make a portfolio that's robust enough to handle well in all different terrain. And so the first step in, in doing that is actually trying to identify well, what are all the different types of terrain we might be driving through over the next 10 years or over the next 50 years and how would different assets perform in that environment and, and then making sure there's allocations to different assets so that in, in one environment it might be tough for one asset but good for another asset and vice versa. But you want to always have some assets that, that are doing well and there are always going to be some that aren't doing well and it's making sure you've got the right spread. So one of the ways we think about it at Stockspot is thinking about 
two of the big drivers of which asset classes do well or badly, which is uh, growth and inflation. So you've got some assets that do well or do badly in a high growth, high inflation environment or a high growth, low inflation environment or a low growth, low inflation environment or a low growth, high inflation environment. And so you want to make sure that your portfolio can actually handle well in those environments. And yeah, that's why, for instance, in our portfolios, you know, the assets that do well in high growth, high inflation, historically at least, are commodities, you know, emerging markets, and, and even the Australian share market. In an environment of low inflation and high growth, US shares and global shares tend to do pretty well, as well as uh, real estate. In a low inflation, low gr- growth environment, uh, government bonds tend to do well. And then in a high inflation, low growth environment, gold does well. And so we have a spread across all of those different assets so that in any market, there'll be some assets that are doing better than others. Um, and, and now's a good example. So, you know, we're, we're almost halfway through 2022 now. I think a lot of investors that have focused too much in technology or cryptocurrency or something like that are, are really feeling a lot of pain because their portfolios could be down 20, 30, 50, you know, 70, 80%. But of the five asset classes we invest in, actually, two of them are up. Australian shares and, and gold are up over the last 12 months. And this is, sorry, as of the end of, I think they're the figures as of the end of uh, March or April. They're not up a lot, but, you know, they haven't lost our clients' money, whereas bonds have fallen and global and emerging markets have fallen. And so those help to counterbalance each other so that um, where um, a portfolio of, of, let's say, global shares might be 25% down so far this year, a diversified portfolio that we're managing for our clients might be down 5%. It's still going to be down, absolutely. And there are always going to be periods where portfolios are up or down in the short term. But you can, if you can preserve your capital in the periods where markets are falling, it's going to give you a much better opportunity to make money in, in rising markets. Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind that not every asset class does well all the time. And that's why people do have that diversified portfolio with different asset classes and different countries and different sectors as well there. And I can yeah, tell you a funny story on that, Kate. So it's... it's it's almost an interesting reverse indicator in our company. When we get a lot of clients calling asking for us to remove one of the assets from our portfolio, it usually means we're pretty close to the bottom. And so I remember very clearly in 2015 and 16, we had heaps of our clients calling up saying, please get rid of gold. I don't want any gold in my portfolio. It's garbage. Please get rid of it. It went from just a few emails to like lots and lots and lots. And that just happened to be the low in gold. And since then, gold's been a brilliant asset. To be invested in. And we're seeing the same now with government bonds. So government bonds have really struggled for the last three or four months. I think they've actually had their worst start to the year in 40 plus years. And we're seeing a lot of clients saying, hey, get rid of government bonds in my portfolio. And so, yeah, we're having to explain this, this concept of diversification to them that actually you want some assets to be always going up and some not to be doing well. You know, that means your portfolio can handle different market conditions. And if you get rid of the thing that's doing badly, when it's doing badly, you're going to miss out on the opportunity of benefiting from it when it does well. Yeah. I mean, if you every time something does badly, if you just cut it out of your portfolio, you won't be left with anything by the end of 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the individual stock level, I actually think it makes more sense than on an asset class basis. And it's the same with stock losses. Like on a asset class basis, our model is always selling a little bit of the things that have done well and putting it into the things that have done badly to help balance people's portfolios. But actually, that doesn't work with individual shares because with individual shares, it's only like 
I think we've discussed this before, Kate, four or 6% of all companies that drive all of the market returns. And they're the companies that make thousands and thousands of percent returns. So if you're always trimming those companies that are doing well and putting it into the dogs that are going to go bankrupt, you're actually going to earn a, a much lower return than the index. So that, I think when we get concerns from clients, it's because they, they kind of understand this, that actually on an individual stock level, you don't want to be selling winners and putting it into losers. But actually on an asset class level, you do want to be selling losers and putting it into, uh, sorry, selling winners and, and putting it into losers. Yeah. So if you have set up that portfolio, you really don't want to be touching it too often if you are using sort of broader ETFs to build it rather than individual companies. Like I don't think you need to. So, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time reading all of the different, you know, research and, and academic and empirical work that's been done on it. And typically the, the best result comes from allowing assets to actually move a fair way from their target weight in your portfolio before you sell them. And so, you know, we don't, you know, rebalance our clients' portfolios monthly or quarterly or that often because, you know, one, you're realizing tax, which is not ideal. And, and then two, you know, there's crossing spreads and transactional issues. There's actually no evidence that rebalancing that often adds any value. Um, we have a threshold-based um, rebalancing approach where if a certain asset uh, moves a certain distance from its target weight, and, and a lot of the research shows that should be somewhere between 15 to 15 to 25% away from its target weight, that's when you rebalance. And, and what that means is there's some years that we don't rebalance at all because all assets are moving in the same direction. But then there's some years that we rebalance a lot. So in 2020, we did a big rebalance in March when markets had fallen, when we were selling some government bonds and gold and buying some shares when they were down you know, 30 or 35% from their highs. And then by November that year, markets had recovered so much that we were actually selling some shares and, and putting it back into the first flight assets. So yeah, our view on rebalancing is it should be based on thresholds and not based on timing. And I think that's good to keep in mind because we often feel the need to do something with our portfolio. Like we should be actively managing it, whereas sometimes not touching it is the best solution. Almost always. Yeah. Doing nothing, it's, it's the hardest thing to do because it takes a lot of discipline. But yeah, people that do less are rewarded over the long run. Yeah. And something we haven't touched on yet, but it does play into diversification and building this portfolio is your own risk profile and what your investment time frame is. How do you sort of, I guess, on a broad level, look at that when building and choosing a portfolio? Well, I think it's something that's really critical, Kate, and something that unfortunately people still overlook is that even if you get your asset allocation right, if it's not aligned to your own goals and investment horizon and risk capacity, you know, it might not be an appropriate portfolio for you. So the way that we've set up our business is anyone that joins us, we actually ask them to answer some questions, which helps us identify, you know, how long are they looking to invest for? Do they need any dividends and cash along the way? You know, do they have experience through big market falls and how do they think they'll react? And a lot of that information helps us work out, should they be in a portfolio with a larger weight to more defensive assets because they have a shorter time horizon, for instance, or are they able to invest in more growth assets because they're investing for a long time and, and, you know, they're not going to be someone that sells when markets have a fall like they have at the start of 2022. And actually getting that right is, is just as critical as getting your asset allocation right. Because if you're someone that has a great asset allocation for someone investing for 20 years, but you're needing the money in two years' time to buy a property, the chances are when the market falls 10 or 20%, you're going to capitulate and sell at the wrong time because you're worried you won't be able to put up that deposit in two years' time. So for someone investing with a very short-term horizon of, let's say, six months or a year, we actually say investing is probably not the right 
strategy for you because the probability of, of having a positive return isn't isn't high enough to really to warrant investing. But if you're investing for three or so years, then yeah, that's when you can start to um, use asset allocation to to give you the best result possible. Yeah, and if if someone wanted some examples of what different portfolios could look like, I know it's very personal and sometimes I go and just have a look at different super funds website to see how they break down different types of portfolios. Where would you suggest they they have a look or start? Well, everyone has a different approach to this, Kate. Yeah, because everyone has a different set of assumptions and and I mean, super funds are fascinating. You've got so many different funds in Australia and yeah, we do this uh, super fund research, the Fat Cat Report every year and we're actually building into spreadsheets to do our analysis what the asset allocations are and they vary hugely between funds. So you've got funds out there that are calling a balanced fund a balanced fund when they've got 98% growth assets and then you've got a balanced fund that has 62% growth assets. So yeah, definitely super funds is a good place to start to understand what this might look like. But I would say that keep in mind that the time horizon for most super funds balanced or growth strategies is very, very long. So you know they're building a strategy that's appropriate if you're investing for probably 20 or 30 years. And that's why there's a large weighting to more growth assets. We often get asked by clients and prospective clients, why do you have such a large allocation to more defensive assets? And the reason is because a lot of our clients are actually investing for a goal in three years' time or seven years' time or five years' time. And you just can't afford to be in 90% shares if you're investing with that sort of time horizon. So as well as super funds, I would encourage, you know, encourage people to look at other diversified funds. I mean, you can look on even our Stockspot website and have a look at our um, breakdowns. But understand that the time horizon and, and your risk capacity is a big determinant of what's going to be appropriate for you. It may be worthwhile getting advice as well, either through a traditional advisor or an automated advisor and you know, making sure that you're in the right strategy because the last thing you want is after you invest after mark, and then markets fall for you to second guess or question whether you've made the right decision. Um, and you want to be able to be confident and say, look, I've, I've, I've made this decision because I've got my time horizon right. I know I'm investing for four years. So if the market falls over the short run, it's fine. I'm confident it's still the right strategy. Yeah, it's much easier to stay calm during challenging times in the market if you actually understand what you've invested in and you understand how your portfolio is actually built rather than just blindly copying something off the internet, which I do not recommend. Yeah, totally. I mean, the internet is a dangerous place for like listening to different thoughts and advice. And, and you know, the, the, there's there's a lot of great advice on the internet, but also, yeah, I think trusting a, an anonymous person on Reddit for um, asset allocation advice can be dangerous because you don't know what their experience is and, and whether that's someone that actually, um, yeah, has kind of gone through a big market fall before or that understands your own psychology. And, and really, they're, yeah, they're, they're not really someone that, yeah, their advice may be relevant to. Yeah, absolutely. And to wrap up today's episode, if listeners want to maybe do some more research on asset allocation, diversification and building portfolios or learn more, what would you suggest they do? Well, if, if I'm allowed to plug my own YouTube, of course you are. Kate, <laughs> they can definitely check out the um, Chris Brikey Stockspot YouTube where I'm, I'm, in, I'm posting videos every week or so and a lot of them are on asset allocation um, and answering common questions we get about shares, bonds, you know, rebalancing, all these sorts of things that we've been talking about today. Yeah, and, and I know you guys run a great website as well that helps people learn about you know, asset allocation and ETFs as well. So there are, there are qualified places and I would say 
yeah, something I, I would I would definitely look for is wherever you're getting advice or getting help, make sure it, it's a company that's a regulated financial business because you know that that's going to give you a more trust that um, you can rely on the information. Awesome, thanks, Chris. And if people want to learn more about you or connect, ask some questions, where should they go? Uh, they can find me on Twitter or on YouTube as well. Yep. So you're you're answering comments in the YouTube videos, are you? I, I do as many as I can. Yeah, I get some very interesting questions and comments. So some of them take a bit longer than others, but uh, yes, yeah. I'll, I'll do my best. YouTube's an interesting space, especially in the world of finance. Yeah, I'm sure you find the same, Kate. There's a, you know, there's an interesting crowd, and but it's great to see so many engaged people, you know, trying to to manage their finances as best as possible. Yeah, I love that there's just different information sources people can access now. So depending on whether you like to listen, watch, or read, you've got something. That's it. So much information, it's just working out what to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and chatting today. And uh, everyone else, thanks for listening. Thanks, Kate. Always a pleasure and look forward to coming back on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at HowToMoneyAUS, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.